0: I'm Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. And Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. We are recording after an awards show, but we are not doing an immediately uh, morning after recording for the SAG Awards, which happened on Sunday, um, which might be disrespectful to the SAG Awards, but also is like a a brief, pre-recorded, hour-long, very uh, snappy award show. Um, Maybe it it feels like they were kind of trying to just move on with it. Um, But we have lots of exciting winners and uh, awards narratives to talk about from the SAG Awards and some of your questions to answer as has become our tradition. Um, and then in the back half of the episode, we're going to have Joanna's interview with Lee Isaac Chung, the Oscar-nominated director of the Oscar-nominated Minari, who uh, hopefully is celebrating the incredible win uh, in Best Supporting Actress for Yoo Young. So we'll look forward to hearing from that. So do you guys want to start with the Supporting Actress category while we talk about the SAG Awards, which, mm. as I tweeted, I think is like the wildest race we've had in forever
3: it feels like it's i don't know like the best actress race is also really wild this year
0: it's really (laughs) exciting yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah, i wrote something for the site yesterday so it went up on monday um about exactly that being like if nothing else it's pretty exciting that two big categories are completely up in the air um and up in the air in a way that feels like no matter who wins well i mean there are a couple options that would be kind of like eh but like it feels like the the races are being contested by like all worthy people um yes which is cool
3: yeah i mean i I have to say that after yu jeng yun Yun won at the sag she's kind of my front runner in that category now um what do you guys think
0: is that just based on her being like the most recent winner or her giving a great speech or what's the what's your Um, theory
3: I think people really want to reward Minari. And Minari is not really represented. It's nominated, but it's not really, like, you know, a, f- a hardcore frontrunner in a lot of categories. And so I like the idea of her emerging as this frontrunner for the film.
0: Yeah. The sh- I mean, we talk a lot of times about how, like, people want to reward a movie. Like, that's a, a part of the theory behind Daniel Kaluuya, winning and supporting actor, that, like, they want to reward in The Black Messiah and Promising Young Woman. Um So, yeah, that's not a bad idea that like if Minari, we don't think it's going to win Best Picture, um, which we can talk about, that she would be the place to reward it.
1: Yeah. And in a significant way. And I think when Yun gave her speech, she said something like, I can't believe I'm being recognized in the West.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And that sentiment, you know, I think we heard versions of that last year with Parasite, you know, their huge run at the Oscars was that there really had been this very justified feeling from The entirety of, like, Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian cinema that, like, in terms of at least awards and that kind of, like, honorific stuff, that we just were not paying attention to it at all, not regarding it. Mm -hmm. uh, Occasional outliers like Crouching Tiger notwithstanding. So I think that kind of vindication spoken by, like, an elder in the acting community in Korea, like, who who is very lauded around the world, um, I think is really resonant
0: yeah and the fact that you know, none of the actors from Parasite were nominated last year is still kind of a, a blow, I think, against yeah. that movie's remarkable run. um although it I would argue that parasite was a little bit trickier because the ensemble was bigger and it was like kind of tougher to know where everyone um I think that maybe like, with Minari, it was very clear like who the supporting actress contender was really going to be, and they really pushed her for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it w- I think it would go a long way toward just like acknowledging you know the Academy, which has wanted to be more international, has really made efforts in making its membership more international of, of kind of like putting their money where their mouth is in a way.
3: I mean, I will just say at the same time, like she's a Korean actress, but like Minari just feels like such an American movie still yes. to me. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know some people have wondered if Minari might have uh, a shot at Best Picture. There's still, you know, so much wilderness uh, between us and 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 the Oscar voting, and given like the conversation, the cultural conversations we're having right now, like there is this idea that like maybe m- this is the time to reward Minari. And that might still happen, but I do think that a win uh, here in the supporting actress category is also a great way to honor that film. So.
0: Um, I wanted to get into the BAFTAs, which are going to be this coming Sunday. So we'll be able to talk about them next week. Um, and, you know, there's some overlap. I think, as we discussed, they they went uh, a little bit off of the Oscar momentum and all the better for it this year. So it's not maybe not a useful precursor. But in Supporting Actress, um jung and Maria Bakalova are the only Oscar nominees who are in the running there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're nominated against like Dominic Fishback and Judas and the Black Messiah and then several British films that I'm not even sure have come out here yet. So it could be really interesting. It could be Yu Joon-Yun, and then all of a sudden we have a really strong narrative. Or it could be Ashley Madekwe from County Lines and then we're right back where we are right now. Um, So I'll be very intrigued to see how that goes. Or maybe it's Maria Bakalova who hasn't won anything yet except for Critics' Prizes as far as I can remember.
1: Yeah. A narrative just hasn't coalesced, which is kind of ideal in a way. I mean, I think that it's fine that we really are pretty certain that Kaluuya and Chadwick Boseman are going to win on that side of things. And it, you know, it tends to be that there's some fixed things or some things that at least feel fixed and others that feel a bit more up in the air. I just think that the up in the air side of things this year is that much more so. Yeah. Um, and I've seen like, I've kind of noticed like a like maybe just kind of anecdotally from friends texting me an almost air of panic about that. Like, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to predict. <laughs> and it's like, well, ultimately this is just, you know, it's all just for fun. Like, it's fine, <laughs> you know. Um, You know, and I, I think that I kind of had that feeling when Viola Davis won at the SAGs for Ma Rainey, because I was like, I didn't, I, I mean, she's, it's a great performance. She's clearly beloved by the, um, by her union and by the, you know, industry at large. And, but I just, I thought for some reason that that movie, that performance wasn't going to get across that finish line, you know, because there were other performances that felt a little bit more um, buzzy, I guess this year.
0: Well, and also the Chadwick Boseman thing, right? That, like, winning right. a pair of actor-actress stat- statues is really rare.
1: Hasn't happened since 1997. Yeah. Um, and now, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, you know, as Viola Davis won a SAG um, for The Help 10 years ago and then lost the Oscar to Meryl Streep, who was also nominated at the SAGs. Mm-hmm. So there's pre- – there, I mean, I, and that's not the only case of, of SAG and Oscars not agreeing. It's happened, I think, one other time since when Glenn Close won for The Wife. That said, there's also the other unknown of Andrew Day being nominated for an Oscar and not being nominated at the SAG. So we have no comparison points for her campaign other than her Golden Globe win, which, as we've said many times, we shouldn't really count because it's a very different group of people voting.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just looking up as uh, you were talking about this, uh, whether Frances McDormand has in fact won an award if we all just keep saying that she will. And I'm not sure she has. She's won some critics prizes, as has Carrie Mulligan. But both of them have been kind of the people we keep talking about winning things and have not yet emerged as the big winners, which we keep thinking they would. And I don't quite I don't think that means either of them are likely to not win. But it's it's really interesting, like expectations versus reality playing out here.
3: I don't know why I'm so um still on the Carrie Mulligan bandwagon. Not that like it's not a great performance or she doesn't deserve it or whatever, it's just sort of like there's something about that narrative for me that still feels really strong. But yeah, maybe that's just me ignoring the actual reality of this Oscar race. I don't she know. She did
0: win the Critics' Choice Award. I have I've managed to find that. Um so that might be somewhere where that narrative started to take hold. Um but yeah, just like in supporting actress, like it feels like the the winds have just ping-ponged among this group of people this entire season, which is fascinating.
3: Yeah, I mean, so she won Carrie Mulligan won Critic's Choice, National Border Review, some Australian Prize, the Palm Springs International Film Festival, which is actually sometimes a bellwether prize. Um, yeah, that's definitely the, a,
0: like we are paying attention to you. We think you're you're gonna win yeah, this thing award.
3: And the Santa Barbara International. So um yeah. I mean, it's fun. I think it's great that we don't know. And, and we talked about this last week in terms of like the way in which the pandemic disrupted the usual cementing of narratives uh, mm-hmm. this year. And I, I, it is interesting, like the way that the narrative cemented around Chadwick so early on is um, unsurprising given, you know, the whole... The larger narrative, but um, it is interesting that it seems to have settled on the actors, but the women are still sort of a big question mark for people.
0: It's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know what to make of. I don't know what to make of that. I don't, like. I, that feels more distinct to Daniel Kaluuya and especially Jacob Boseman's performances than like uh, sexism at play. But I, I can't. I, I wouldn't don't swear to I, that.
3: I'm not calling
0: it sexism. At oh all. no, I don't, I don't I, think I, you were. I was yeah. trying to ask a question myself. There's something gendered
3: without being overtly sexist about it. Does that make any sense? I don't know. I need to think about it more. Well, please I mean, enjoy my
1: I, half-formed thoughts. I know <laughs> what you're saying, but also, you know, last year this was true for Yeah, you Yeah, know? that's
3: true. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it
1: kind of does flip. I mean, I wanted I can I, I do want to say about the kind of sure things in terms of Kaluuya has anyone in recent memory better solidified their chances of winning an Oscar and their just wonderful momentum with like something as good as he did on SNL. Like, I thought he was such a great host. I don't know if either of you watched it. Oh, I did, yeah. Um, but his, like, monologue was funny and loose, and then he was actually genuinely funny in sketches, which is not often true of the yeah. hosts. Um, and I don't know. And I just, it was just like, it was that extra, it was like the anti-Norbit or something, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm sure someone has written a, like, history of people hosting SNL on their Oscar campaign, and it seems like it uh, usually they have, helps, right? I, I, Did you write it <laughs> Well, no, I
3: mean, I I did several years ago, but Vulture has a more recent one pegged to Daniel's appearance. Got it. And it's like Sam Rockwell did a great stint. Emma Stone did a great stint. Uh, Casey Affleck did a great stint. J.K. Simmons, Christoph Waltz, like this is uh Jennifer Lawrence. Like this is a thing. Doesn't always translate. Like that doesn't always mean you win, but like yeah. I think it's definitely part of the whistle stop tour uh if you're if you're trying to build your momentum.
1: So such a risk though, because it could go so wrong, you know. Uh, it really could. Oh, Joe Reed wrote it. Of course Joe Reed wrote it. Yeah.
3: My yeah. very favorite is actually Jeremy Irons because he came out, I think he had just won the Golden Globe. Uh, I mean, I should read Joe Reed's up before I talk out of m- m- the other side of my face. But um, I believe he had just won some other prize and he came out with a robe with, like, a glittering Oscar embroidered in sequins on the back of
0: it and, like, turn around. It was just very, like,
3: overt about the fact that this was, like, part of his awards. Uh, That's really you know. risky, too. Yeah, like, if exactly. you
0: lose, then... That
3: might have been a victory lap one, though, um, possibly. <laughs> that Are happens sometimes, that too.
1: Somewhere in, like, the, uh, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark-esque, like, storage room of Broadway video... There is a glittery Oscars cape, that and why don't we be have Purchasing it. <laughs> for this podcast,
0: yes. we need to start a GoFundMe to help us buy that cape. Um, I, I'm, re- I'm looking at Joe's article. Jeremy Irons hosted two days before the Oscars because this is back when the Oscars were on Mondays, as we talked about last week. Um, and then he played Hannibal Lecter in a Silence of the Lambs parody sketch. So he played a future Best Actor winner. On his SNL oh, weird. episode, which is a very strange combination of things. Oh yeah, but the bit of the intro is that he had all, he just like, he's like, I don't care about Oscar, but
3: then like everything he had was shaped like Oscar including <laughs> the robe. So yeah, that was the bit.
1: So good. People should read that piece. I haven't read it yet. I'm excited to read it but because Joe is just so like, that is such a, a sweet spot for him. He has many, but like that is just such yes. a wheelhouse thing.
0: Yeah. I'm looking through everyone's subtext questions, and we just got a particularly a lot of questions about Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. Like, is Violet Davis going to win? Is Carrie Mulligan going to win? Are Glenn Close's Oscar chances over? And I, I would say, as we just said, like, we don't really know for any of them. Like, I don't know. Joanna, it seems like you're still on the Carey Mulligan train. I'm not sure if someone asked me to make firm predictions that I would feel confident doing anything at this point.
1: Well, something I arrived at in, you know, very <laughs> timidly in the thing that I wrote for the site about the Sags was like, so Glenn Close winning at the Sags and then losing to Olivia Coleman. So that was a much more traditional sort of best Actress kind of role. You know, Coleman has, you know, beloved on television. She wasn't like an upstart newcomer by any means, nor is Carrie Mulligan. But like the favorite was sort of the hipper movie that upset the more traditional Oscar narrative, mm-hmm. and I could kind of see that that case being made that, that that's the space that Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman occupy this year. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, so maybe that the, the, the sort of more traditional choice would be, um, you know, just because of the, the kind of role it is, be like Ma Rainey or 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 you know, Nomadland or something. But maybe enough contingent of the Academy will want to go with what they see as like more like hip and edgy and now. You know, those are very reductive terms for all these movies. But like, yeah, do you you feel like there's some sort of like echo from that from the wife uh, favorite year, I think?
3: if if you were to ask me to fill out like an Oscar ballot right now I put Carrie Milgan if you were to ask me to like bet some kind of vital organ on, on an Oscar <laughs> bet I would say I don't know you know what I <laughs> mean you would sometime. bow <laughs> out have, no, have you guys not been doing the organ thing just <laughs> no, has like uh, eight just, kidneys <laughs> just non-vital organs I have eight <laughs> kidneys but negative
1: three spleen's Katie. so it's just it's, it's really, really
3: dire <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean it is funny that we've talked a bunch of being like well if Frances McDormand won a third Oscar like it's hard to argue that she wouldn't deserve it but like we haven't really Said as much, Viola Davis could win a second Oscar and she would mm-hmm. also deserve it. Like, no one's, and especially because she has a supporting actress Oscar yeah. for a performance that was arguably lead. Like, it's always, I don't know if anyone else cares about this, but like, Anne Hathaway having a supporting actress Oscar feels weird. Like, anytime a supporting Someone get or Brad Pitt having a supporting Oscar, you know, like movie stars deserve lead acting Oscars, <laughs> and so maybe that's how Viola Davis gets hers.
1: Kate Blanchett having to struggle for about ten years or however long it was with that lousy supporting thing for <sighs> playing Catherine oh, Hester. So just
0: looked at it yeah. in scorn every morning, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I want to go back to Supporting Actor for a second. We talked about Daniel Kaluuya cementing his narrative. Um, but last week we were talking about our concerns about boat splitting. Um, wh- what I predicted would happen came true. Everyone bowed down to my predictive powers. Um, but Joanna, as the, I think, the chief Judas and the Black Messiah worrier, do you feel better now?
3: I'm still worried. I mean, okay, that's okay though. <laughs> it's not over till it's over. I'm so sorry to ask this. Please don't kick me off the podcast. Was Lakeith nominated in that category for the SAG? No, he was not. No. So that's not... Your prediction has not come true yet,
0: My <laughs> no, <but> prediction that <laughs> Daniel yeah. Kaluuya would win the SAG and therefore cement oh, sure. his narrative.
3: Daniel Kaluuya has won the SAG. That's great. His his narrative feels on firmer ground than it did before. I still wake up in a cold, sweat at night <laughs> going,
0: Sasha Perry Cohen! So,
3: you know, it's... Uh, that won't go away till it's over. But um, yeah, of course. I mean, I you know, as as Richard said, the SNL uh, appearance, this SAG win, like it feels it feels very sure. Just it's a it's a wild year. It's a wild year, you know. So uh, I'm still a little worried. But thank you for trying to make me unworried, <laughs> Katie. I appreciate you.
0: Well, so we can look to BAFTAs to find out more. We've actually got three nominees in that category there: Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., and Paul Racey. Um And I. Um, I don't know, it'll be really interesting. Also, what if Alan Kim wins for Minari and we can all be thoroughly delighted?
3: Well, the BAFTAs, as we as we mentioned, so the two like sort of bellwether or precursor awards left are the DGAs and the BAFTAs, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And the DGAs, we kind of think we know how that's going to go, right?
0: We think that's Chloe Shaw. Yeah.
3: yeah, but the BAFTAs, as we mentioned in their nomination process, seem so determined to not be an Oscar precursor this year. Mm-hmm. So we usually look to them to sort of further you know what's what's further than cementing like you know dip in bronze yeah exactly (laughs) like everything and I and I just think that this year I'm not sure that that's something that award ceremony will will do for us and that's what makes this season so fun and weird I'm a big fan of it and I I hope the BAFTA stay that way honestly Mm -hmm. can I tell you one thing really quickly before we get sorry sorry listeners um I found out I did a I did another awards podcast don't get mad that I cheated <laughs> on you and I found out from one of the experts on that podcast that You know, we've been kind of, like, a little confused as to why Tenet didn't get nominated in more technical categories. Mm -hmm. And he told me that Warner Brothers, maybe as some sort of, like, weird Cold War that they've got going on with Christopher Nolan, who kind of dumped on them publicly. Uh, Well, not
0: kinda. Didn't he call them the worst streaming
3: service? (laughs) Definitely dumped on them publicly. (laughs) Um, Didn't send out Tenet screeners to anyone other than VFX. So, like, editing... Sound design. Wait,
0: but aren't they all on the um, Academy screening portal? It got pulled
3: portal? from the Academy screening portal. Oh,
0: fascinating.
3: Yes. So. Wow. I don't know. Don't. <laughs> Don't trash your studio if you want an Oscar, I suppose. I mean that's that's common sense, but it's really
0: fascinating how and this is a sidebar, but like there's Nolan and then there's like all the Snyder cut stuff and Zack Snyder kind of like, you know, putting the movie out there but not having the best things to say about the Warner Brothers brass. That is an interesting period for them and their filmmaker relationships. I'm curious what happens next.
1: And I'll trash Republic Pictures all I want. I'm
2: still gonna get that award.
0: Um, okay, so let's talk about Trial of Chicago 7. It won the SAG Ensemble Award. Nomadland, the odds-on favorite to win Best Picture, was not nominated. I think, as we probably discussed last week, like, though the speculation was if Minari would swoop in and win and then kind of become a co-best picture frontrunner. Um, I don't think this means that Trial of Chicago 7 is going to beat Nomadland. Do you guys disagree with me?
1: I think I agree with you. I, I think that it's a, it's a very ensemble-y movie. They're saying lots of, you know, chunky Aaron Sorkin dialogue. The frontrunner for Best Picture wasn't nominated. It feels like a confirmation that Sorkin is going to win something. Like You know, maybe screenplay, presumably. Mm-hmm. But but maybe not. Maybe not even that. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is more like a, you know, Hidden Figures winning at the SAGs or something else.
3: Yeah. I don't think it is really knocking on Nom- Nomadland's door but I I feel a little less confident than I did before the Sags. Does that make sense? I'm like <laughs> this is a possibility and not sure. a possibility. I was really entertaining before the Sags.
0: So. I think that's fair. I think it gives it some visibility um yeah. and it's a it's a really likable movie. Um so if people are like, "Oh, I'm going to check that out like it might Rise to their list. Um, You know, we were talking a little bit last week about preferential ballot. Like, it's easy to see people putting Child of Chicago 7 in second or third place um, for a lot of different people. Um, But yeah, I mean, the history of the SAG Ensemble, like, it lines up with Best Picture about half and half. Like, Parasite won last year, which was huge. Black Panther won the year before. Three Billboards won. Hidden Figures, American Hustle, uh, The Help. You know, this is a prize that will go to a movie with a ton of people in it and a ton of movie stars, which is exactly what Chicago 7 was. Like, it's uh, it's kind of tailor-made for that prize in a way that it's not quite the same way for Best Picture.
3: If Serkin wins screenplay, that means Emerald Finel doesn't win screenplay.
0: Yes, they are in the and, same category. And
3: that is where, I mean, the, the, I know we talk about, like, Spreading the wealth, but it's so weird because, like, it's not as if these decisions are made by a small committee that's like, ah, yes, this is how we'll honor this film and Mm -hmm. this is how we'll honor that film. So it's not really as calculated as all that. But, like, if Promising Young Woman doesn't win screenplay, like, that makes me feel more confident about Carrie Mulligan winning. Yeah, that award being
0: handed out earlier in the night. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? So it's, um, yeah, but I think it would be a real shame. Because I do think that's where Emerald Fennell does deserve to be honored, more mm-hmm. way more so than her directing nomination, um, because that the Promising a Woman is a movie that I found to be like a little messy. but I, I think that the screenplay is is really sharp. and Carrie Mulligan, I think, is extraordinary. So
1: yeah, you know, you know what they should do? to kind of address that spreading the wealth thing, they should do it like the New York film critics where you vote award by award together. So everyone in the auditorium and maybe virtual voting, it would take probably six and a half days.
0: Yeah.
1: But I could guarantee they're like, okay, we check that off the box and then they could keep moving toward yeah. this picture.
0: <laughs> I mean, you imagine people doing it, a version of it in their own heads as they fill out their ballot. Like, oh, wow, I already voted for it in this spot, so I need to pick something else here. Like, I, I think that's yeah. why you're much more likely to see that spreading the wealth in the final voting than in the nomination process where it's happening out by from various branches. So let's talk about the SAGs themselves as a show. So they, it was all pre-taped. Someone um, texted us kind of asked how they made it. And um, they recorded it, I believe, two days in advance. They kind of got everyone on, on their category-by-category category Zooms. I mean, you think about the people. Like, if you were nominated, you only had to be on Zoom for, like, 20 minutes. It must have been great. I thought it went pretty well as a, like, slickly produced, you know, not even really pretending to be live show. I thought that was maybe the best version of what we could have hoped for.
1: It went well. It was dull, though, I thought. You know, it was dull <laughs> until there were some surprise wins, and then it was kind of exciting. But I think the format, the juxtaposition between the slickly produced presenters and then, yet again, a grid of grainy Zoom videos.
0: And terrible audio for some I, I just awful. was like,
1: all right, like if you're going to pre-tape it, just fucking tell the winner that they won, and then have them with a nice camera set up <laughs> record mm. a speech. You know, like it, we don't have the pretense, and then having to watch like the people who just lost the award like nod, you know, approvingly on Zoom. It was like let them uh. quit the Zoom meeting.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> It'd be let, amazing. If you just watch them, them shut free. their laptops yeah. as
1: they lost. I think it was. I think you know. And again, I wrote about this in the in the piece, but like. For me, you know, I know that there are a lot of complications with that, and it's probably not going to be as originally declared. But the initial impulse on behalf of Soderbergh and the other people making this year's Oscar ceremony to not have any of the teleconferencing touch the ceremony. I'm like watching the sags. I was like, I get it. it we're sick mm-hmm. of it. It's frustrating. It's alienating. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the interviews with the really, you know, well-produced interviews with the, or, or the, you know, the, the talking head bits with the presenters, Daisy Ridley revealing she likes below deck, uh, Lily Collins talking about HTTV So they were talking right at me. Um, <laughs> that was lo- revealing and felt celebrity kind of intimacy that we haven't felt in a long time because yeah. it is so alienating. I was like, just do that. Uh, you know, we don't need the other thing. We have enough yeah. of it in our in our private lives.
0: I loved all the bits with the headshots. I thought that was really like they they cut to V. Diggs's like awkward pose into him imitating his awkward pose. It was uh it was well produced, whoever did that. I yes. still think that
3: the Emmys have been the best version of this so far.
0: And I don't fully know why.
3: Yeah, I don't know why either. Maybe because it was like one of the first. And so we were like braced for absolute crashing disaster. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't. It was totally fine and kind of fun. Yeah. And then after that, maybe we've judged these other award shows
1: by a harsher standard. But yeah. I mean, not to be like, because people watch things in all kinds of different ways now, especially this past year. But like, we're also used to seeing TV people on the, in that scale. You know, I, I don't, don't want to say. see, you know, Glenn Close Keeping you know th- at her laptop camera <laughs> like that's not that's not a movie star. <laughs> movie stars don't do that.
0: You know, it occurs to me that uh, watching the Grammys, which I've talked about a bunch, is like you know a model for trying to do something in person that was pretty successful. But I also like you know someone would get up and hug someone and they wouldn't have their mask on and I'd be like ah. But by the time the Oscars happen, in, you know, three weeks, I guess, a lot of these people are going to be vaccinated, um, and that will maybe make this fun to watch and not stressful in a way that it it would have been two months ago maybe that will make the entire april delay worth it in the end. Um I imagine there's still going to be tons of covid theater and for good reason, but um I'm hoping that I can enjoy like seeing Olivia Coleman and Glenn Close in the same room. God, I hope they're in the same room. I Hope Olivia Coleman flies for it.
3: It's so interesting because I don't I don't mean to be in uh, – I feel like I'm like the the cold bucket of water worry person on this <laughs> podcast, but I have to say that like I'm not sure how excited I would be to watch a bunch of privileged people who are vaccinated rub elbows when plenty of people aren't vaccinated yet. I don't know how that lands. I mean, like, Mm. I understand that the Oscars exist as sort of this, like, aspirational escapism, and that's part of the fun of them, but, like... I don't know. This year is different and and feelings around that kind of thing are a little different this year. Yeah. Um, they so, will probably be know. more
0: mindful of that than I was just now. I, I, I would imagine that they are to some degree. Um, but, you know, like by the end of April, like vaccines will be available to virtually everyone or close to it.
1: I mean, everyone over 30 in New York City can get one if they can, you know, <laughs> when they make an appointment. So, yeah, I, I know. Which Oscar right? nominees
0: are under 30 who right. we can judge. <laughs>
1: Sorry, Helena Zengel, she's not nominated. <laughs> um, but, you know, I know what you mean, though, Joanna, because I think that there is still, understandably, a great deal of, like, optics around all that and, like, what it's communicating. And everyone kind of, if if, it, if indeed it is, a lot of people were kind of rubbing their noses in their, like, their luck, you know, to be vaccinated and to be together. And, all you know, I probably had, you know, maybe cushier places to spend quarantine in. Uh, yeah, it might confirm some of the sort of anti-celebrity sentiment that has certainly whipped up in the last year.
0: With the Imagine video all over again. I think
3: it's one of the last, like, big events, you know, given the timeline of vaccinations, I think it's one of the last big events where I think the optics of wearing a mask will be, like, really encouraged, even if you've Mm -hmm. been vaccinated, even if everyone around you is vaccinated. Um, You know, there's plenty of advice that we should be wearing masks long after you're vaccinated, et cetera. But, you know, I think as we moved into summer that will feel less of a, of a privileged tier kind of thing. Yeah. But still in April, it still does, I think. But yeah. You
1: know, yeah. What they really should have done. Here's the missed opportunity. Take a cue. and I'm going to sort of infer something. I think I know about sports. Take a <laughs> cue from what the NBA did with like the NBA bubbles were like, basically weren't the players <laughs> just together all the time.
3: Yes. S- yeah.
1: For like a season. Um, so just, they should have done like a nominees bubble and had everyone like live together And then we could have had a reality show based on that. And then the ceremony would be the series finale.
0: God, I can't believe that would have been good. I I mean, Anthony Hopkins getting that offer and being like, "Uh, no, thank you.
1: I'm (laughs) not leaving by flat.
0: (laughs) I'd be like, Anthony, you can still
3: play the piano in the bubble. Make your TikToks. It'll be great. Um, Just get I a need big to...
1: stupid mansion in Calabasas, you know, <laughs> like a hype house, like TikTok hype house, but with Oscar yes, nominees.
3: But Oscar, Oscar hype house. Love it. Love it.
0: Um, I'm going to say based on some quick Googling, I believe that uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Maria Bakalova are the only nominees who are not eligible for the vaccine in New York State yet. So um, if they look like they're jumping the line, you guys let mm-hmm. us know. Okay, Joanna, let's uh, go ahead and listen to your interview with Lee Isaac Chung. Um, we've been trying to arrange this interview for months just as okay, a behind-the-scenes glimpse because we've all been so enthusiastic about talking to him. Uh, do you want to sing any more praises of Minari or just go right into the interview? Well, I just think I think that
3: in some award seasons more than others a story emerges that feels just so personal to the filmmaker and that you just want to learn everything you can about the filmmaker themselves so that you can better, you know, dig into the movie. So, yeah, that's that's a one reason why we've been chasing this one for so long. So, let's listen to this interview. So, I wanted to start by asking you, first of all, thank you so much for being here. And I wanted to start uh, by getting your reaction to the SAG Awards this weekend and the big win there. How are you feeling?
2: I, I couldn't be more thrilled. I was so happy for Yunya ya to get, a, uh, get an award. And I, I know she was so surprised, but uh, I, I wasn't too surprised because I saw what an amazing job she did. And uh, I'm just glad that people are really discovering her and seeing what she did.
3: Yeah, I just got an announcement for a big film retrospective that they're doing for her. I think at the Lincoln Center. Oh no kidding! This big celebration of her. Yeah, so you know, I think I think people really are just going all in on their appreciation of her. Wow, that's so her great. long history. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you then, of course, what your plans are for Oscar Day itself. Uh, do you have you made your plan already?
2: I I haven't made too many plans yet. I'm going with my wife and. Uh, there are all these new protocols uh, this year to think about. Like, we have to get tested, and I think we're supposed to be quarantining as well, so we won't go out and party at bars and stuff before the the, uh, <laughs> the event. So it'll probably be a quiet day, basically.
3: There have been a number of awards uh, ceremonies for you already, but is this the first one that you will be going to in person other than, I don't know, Sundance pre-pandemic?
2: I guess it is. Yeah, we were, I was just talking to Emil Moseri uh, the other day that we haven't had a chance to come together since Sundance to kind of celebrate the release of this film. So this is, this is when we get to do it. And uh, it's, it's kind of neat that we get to do it on such a big stage.
3: One of the things that I love about award season is the way in which sort of the fellow nominees form this little tight-knit group of we've been through all these things together. Um, And I'm wondering how that pans out in a year where you don't have a lot of these in-person events. Do you still feel connected to the directors and the writers who have been nominated with you over and over again?
2: I don't have anything to compare it to because this is my first award season, but I've, I've gotten to do a couple of events with you know, Emerald Fennell and, and Darius Martyr and, and Chloe Zhao. And it's been nice to see their faces. We aren't getting to really talk to each other that much because a, a lot of these roundtable Zoom discussions we have, there's a moderator who kind of tells us when to talk and stuff. So, yeah. so we're, not, we're not like hanging out, um, which is a shame. So hopefully at the, at the actual Oscars, maybe I'll get to uh, talk to them. Um, but yeah, I, I heard I've heard from other nominees in the past that uh, they develop these deep friendships with people. Um, I guess the the drawback to this year is that I haven't been able to do that as much. But maybe the plus side is that I've gotten to stay at home. I'm not traveling so much. I'm I'm with family, and that's been really nice.
3: Yeah. Speaking of family, everyone was very insistent that I ask you about your daughter and how she's enjoying her. Golden Globes uh, fame, or if she's aware of her fame at all. <laughs>
2: um, um, I think she's kind of aware of it, but I try to, we try not to talk about it with her. We don't want her to like uh, fall into this feeling that that's the sort of thing she wants, she should go for, you know, <laughs> to become like internet famous or whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we try not to talk about it with her, but every now and then we'll hear her say to somebody, I was on TV. So uh, we know it made an impression on her.
3: Given that you're, you're one of the very few nominees who was able to see their film with a crowd, you know, because it debuted at Sundance 2020 before yeah. everything shut down. Um, I'm curious, you know, what, what you learned from that experience and, and how valuable do you think that is being able to see your work and, and hear and listen, you know, listen and see people respond to it in real time?
2: I find it to be incredibly valuable. Um, when I think about an audience watching this film or anyone watching this film, my mind always goes back to that Sundance screening or those those Sundance screenings we did. Um, and I, I, I remember the moments when people laughed or the moments when I felt people were really uh, getting emotional with the film. I don't really picture people just sitting at home on their laptops watching this film. Uh, so, so my mind always goes back to that experience. Uh, I, I think the film is playing in some theaters now, so some people have been able to do that. But it's it's different, you know. We're not sitting shoulder to shoulder uh, watching these movies anymore, and um, there has been something that's lost. But um, but man, thank God we had uh, Sundance uh, to to try it out with the real audience somehow.
3: And then, you know, you 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 say that you've talked to people who have been through this awards gamut uh, before, and I'm wondering if you got any advice in particular that was particularly helpful for you in navigating all of this, even though this is an unusual, remote, Zoom-heavy awards season.
2: You know, the best advice I got, I, I got to meet uh, Spike Lee at one of these things, and uh, he's been so, so nice. Like, he invited me to speak in one of his classes and... Um, every now and then he'll text me if, if a nomination comes out and I'm on there. And the, the day the Oscar nominations came out, he just called me and, um, he he just started to tell me like, don't get lost in this. It, it, you're going to be tempted to get lost in this and your head will be in the clouds, but you got to buckle down and get to work. And, uh, he, he was telling me basically that's the secret to this whole thing. We just have to keep working. And, uh, yeah, I, I really loved that advice that he gave because he kind of brought the focus back to what really matters with filmmaking. Um, and and I, I just kept on trying to talk to him, but, but he was in and out. He was like, congratulations, keep working, don't get lost in this. And, and then he kind of hung up. <laughs> but but that was amazing. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really amazing to talk to him.
3: Uh, and what have you been working on in the midst of all of this?
2: I'm working on this uh, adaptation of Your Name, um, a, a Japanese animated film. So it's, it's an adaptation to live action, and it's produced by uh, Bad Robot with J.J. Abrams as executive producer, and um, it, it's at Paramount. Um, so I, I'm, I'm working on that, and we're trying to see if we can film it this year. Uh, I feel like we're making some progress on it, but um, that's kind of the, the main thing that I've been working on.
3: I love that film uh, The Anime of of Your Name it's one of my favorite films and I'm so excited that you're working on it Um, I'm wondering if you can if there's anything you can say about you know what a live action adaptation of the story like what you're hoping to bring to that story
2: I kind of want it to speak to our interconnectedness I guess and uh, I, I I love the story for how romantic it is it is as well and I feel like um, translating it to real people. There, there is a transformation that takes place in that in and of itself um, when you see real people going through this situation that, um, that I'm excited to see. Um, we've shifted it over to the U.S. so it doesn't take place in Japan. So, yeah, I'm excited. There are a lot of little themes in there that I think are, are pretty interesting and beautiful to me. And uh, I, I hope to bring a lot of emotion to it as well.
3: I mean, I had a huge emotional reaction to Minari, so I, I don't doubt that you will have that same touch with your name. Um, oh, thank you, Jonah. And I, I, I wanted to ask you about Minari. You know, this is a, a film that is based so much on your life and then also embellished to make it a, a cohesive story for audiences. I'm wondering if you have a favorite moment of the film that is exactly true to your life and then a favorite moment that you embellished uh to your life,
2: I think favorite moment that's true to life, I love the scene where everybody's climbing into the trailer home for the first time and there are no stairs. And, and that came from real life. I don't remember how it actually took place, but I felt like as we filmed it this time around, I was able to really talk to each actor about, you know, what, what they would do to get into that trailer home. And it was fun to execute it and see how everybody did it differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, And uh, in terms of things that didn't happen from real life, it's probably there's a shot near the end where the family is sleeping together on the floor. And that's kind of a traditional way of um, that Korean families used to sleep in early 1900s, mid 1900s in Korea. And it, it's, it's a joke that my dad would often tell that, uh, tell us that we ought to sleep on the floor together. He was always suggesting this, and we never did it. So I was, I was really glad to put that into the film so that we can actually have a moment like that together.
3: And what about um, the relationship between your avatar in this film and the grandmother? And, and how close is that to your own relationship with your grandmother?
2: I suppose um, that relationship kind of serves as as one of the hearts of the film. It's a relationship that's similar to our relationship in that um, we were often at war with each other in a very comic way where we're just trying to, you know, push each other's buttons. And it's also, I think, very true to life in the way that I feel about my grandmother. Um, there there are lots of elements that I fictionalized in that as well, To in the arc of that story between grandmother and grandson, um, as a reflection of what I want to express about her and say about her. Um, but the general spirit of that relationship is is, I feel very true to life.
3: One of the things I had read that you said was that you were really invested in this film connecting with friends back home in Arkansas, that that's something that you want, that's an audience you really want to connect with. Have you heard from any of them? Have you heard about how this film is landing there?
2: Yeah, I've, I've heard from many friends I went to school with, even heard from the mayor of, of the town. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a segue. The mayor was, was really glad for the way that we portrayed basically the character that Paul is based on. He said something like um, he was glad that that our family kind of took him in and and gave him work and um, and that we honored uh, that that man with this portrayal of the film uh, in the film um, but but he also went on uh, the mayor kind of told us about the farm work that he did with his family the struggles that he had to go through the hard work that it required and uh, a lot of my friends would also talk about aspect of their stories, like the, the difficulty of, of farming. Um, and th- that was really a surprise to be able to have those conversations because growing up with those friends, we often wouldn't talk about the difficulties at home. Um, but but it was great to reconnect with them and to realize that, yeah, we, we had these shared experiences and we didn't even know it because we were just kids and, you know, we didn't talk about it.
3: You know, there's obviously, obviously been a lot of discussion about Minari and and where it sits in terms of international film versus American film and the pushback from so many people saying like, this is actually the most American film, I think, in the awards race this season, that this idea of the American dream and who gets to have the American dream and all of that is a fundamentally American story. How have those conversations landed with you? Where What are you thinking about that these days?
2: Yeah, I have, I have so many different views about it. I mean, I when I set out making this film, I didn't really think I want to make an American story. It wasn't it wasn't really that. I I, kind of went into it thinking I want to tell a human story and I want to tell a personal story as well. Um, And, you know, the the things that our family went through, they really reflected um, the experiences of many Americans, especially Americans living um, in the South. Um, and also Americans who are coming from an, another country or who are migrating from one place to another in this country so it 's been interesting to me as we roll out the film that there has been much more focus on the f- uh, i don 't know uh, the view of this film as being foreign in some way like it 's a foreign language or or i'd get a lot of questions about parasite with this film, but you know that it 's I don't know. It, it, I guess it's understandable. It's just the way that uh, a lot of people would see a story like this and immediately categorize it in that way. But um, I, I just saw it as, as a human story, really, from the beginning.
3: Yeah, I mean, the way in which I would bring it into a conversation with *Parasite* is, I think, a frustration that year, that award season year, was *Parasite* was getting all these, all this praise, all these prizes, as well it should, and the cast wasn't getting nominated. And it Mm. it seems like something we see over and over again with Asian films that, you know, there's praise for the film itself, but what about the performers? And that seems to be something that Minari has been able to break through in this year. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, the the grand narrative of awards somehow, year to year, and how uh, one year sometimes is correcting for the year, Uh, before, um, yeah, I I don't know how much uh, to put into that to to know how much th- last year does affect us. Um, I've heard people say, you know, we maybe we don't have as much of a shot at this because Parasite won last year. You know, I've I've heard those arguments as well. I guess I I I can't speak to that too much. I did feel as though the actors in Parasite. I was just watching it this morning, by the way. I was watching Parasite this morning. <laughs> um, I. I, I, the the actors in that film are incredible, um, and same with same with uh, Minari. I I feel like Han Yeri and and Yoon Yeo jung they are coming from Korea, and it's so clear that they have so much talent and also a, a depth of experience behind them, and. What I think is great is that people are starting to see that all around the world, um, there's some great cinema that's being made and great performers, great artists um, who've been just dialed in and doing amazing work for years and years. And um, that's why with with Yeo Jong, I'm so glad that, that people took the the time to recognize that work. And, and Han Yeri too, I, I feel like she's going to get her due recognition someday as well.
3: This is a story you've told a few times about how I don't know, you were you're on the verge of giving up uh, working on film uh, when, you, when you stumbled on the idea to make this film, this very personal film. And I'm wondering if, you know, sitting as we are a couple weeks out from the Oscars, you've got this big Paramount Your Name production in swing and all that sort of stuff. What is it like to think about that space you were in and how far you've come since then?
2: I'm kind of reminded of it every night somehow because uh... – my, my daughter bought me, for my birthday, she bought me this five-year journal where every, every day you list out what, something that happened that day. And it's kind of um, every page you turn to is, you, you end up seeing five years in progression of that single day. Oh, wow. So every, every night I see, you know, what was I doing a year ago? What was I doing the year before and the year before? And it, it strikes me every time I open that thing that there was no way I could have predicted any of this um you know like four years ago. Um I'm 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 just um I mean that's just the nature of life I guess it's it's so unpredictable. Uh I I, I don't know quite how to process it. I'm just trying to um stay grounded and um you know I I, I don't feel like I've changed. I, I don't want to change. I, feel, I I want to be the same person I was um, those years ago in many ways that, uh, the, these things happen, but, but somehow I'm, I'm still the same person. Um, so I, I, don't know. Um, it's, it's definitely interesting, definitely pretty wild.
3: What do you do to stay grounded other than open up that journal every night and go, Oh my God, <laughs> this is where I am. <laughs> what, what keeps you, what keeps you most grounded in all of this? Uh,
2: it's probably, probably my family really. Um, my family. I live. I live a quiet life too. Everything I've been doing for this award season, I'm. I'm basically at home with this computer, this Zoom screen. You know, I'm. I'm in in this little bedroom <laughs> right now, talking to you. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I. My my life has kind of not changed in many ways, like like a lot of people because of this uh, quarantine and the virus. Um, yeah, the the external stuff keeps you humble somehow. All, all that's happening in the world, and it's a process, I guess, to answer your question.
3: And do you have, uh, you know, when you think about the possibilities? I mean, you're 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 staying grounded, you're staying present, but as you think about the possibilities beyond your name, beyond whatever is directly on your horizon, what sort of things do you want to do with this attention, with this uh, celebrity that you've that you've gained this year?
2: Yeah, I, I guess um, in terms of the celebrity aspect, I, I just never want to be doing anything that's simply feeding that somehow. Um, I, I feel like what the reason why Minati is resonating with people is because it's honest um, and um, it's, it's speaking to things that I think we all care about. And I, I'm hoping that I can find ways to do that still. I don't know if I can always pull that off, you know, it, it, filmmaking is very hard, but, um, with, with Minari, I kind of tried not to think about myself or my own success and my own career, but I was, I was kind of thinking about other people and, um, about relationships and, and, um, I, I'd love to keep doing that. Um, I, I think, you know, what, what I mentioned about Spike Lee, I, I feel like there was a lot of wisdom in, in what he said. And, uh, the reason why he's had such a long career is that, um, He's really valued the work of it, and he, he hasn't gotten lost in this kind of hoopla of it. Um, so I, I'd love to take that advice that he gave to to not be in the clouds, but to stay grounded and, and keep working.
3: You say filmmaking is hard, and, and of course I wouldn't disagree, but for you, what is the hardest aspect of it?
2: It's tough to work in the dark, I guess. There's so much that um, is done it it's it's a big beast the the film that you're you're trying to make and somehow it's like you're building it um with your eyes closed you don't you don't know what's going to happen um on, on production everything is unpredictable in a way so you're always just trying to put yourself in a position to make a good film but you but there's so much that happens externally that's out of your control um it, it's that balance really um uh, some people are really good at using that to make a better film, I feel. And uh, th- that's the sort of thing I, I'd love to be able to do. Um, but it's it's such a tricky balance. And uh, that, that idea of control is really what plagues a lot of filmmakers, I feel.
3: Is that something that's on your mind going from something smaller scale and more personal as Minari to something like your name, which has a lot of expectation and a big studio behind it and all of that?
2: Uh, it, it is. Um, one of the ways in which I like to give up control is to really rely upon the collaborations I make. I feel like that's a lesson I learned the hard way, um, that uh, collaboration can really bring about things that are better than, than you were thinking in the beginning. Um, so that, that's something I'd love to be able to do with this film. Um, I'm working with different partners this time. Uh, in, in terms of the producers and the uh, the studio, and uh, I'm just trying to learn within that situation and, and make films within those new relationships really um, and and I think that's an opportunity uh, for something good.
3: Something that I've uh, seen you say a couple times is this idea that like we can't rely on awards or awards bodies or anything like that to change the narrative of what kind of stories get to be told in Hollywood. And I'm wondering outside of that award season narrative, where do you see opportunities to to expand who a storyteller is, who a hero is, et cetera, et cetera?
2: In general, I always feel like that comes about through the work itself and and uh, the greater culture, like what, what everybody is doing. From the ground up, I, I'm a big believer of of the power of of people to to change things when they're working in tandem together. When they're when when people seem powerless in some way, uh, yet they yet they together have have a very strong voice. Um, I I feel like a lot of progress has been made in our culture through that in the past few years, and um, I feel like that's. For instance, I feel like that is what's guiding um, more interest in very diverse stories. Like It's been the audience that has shown that um, this is what we want. This is what we hunger. We we hunger these interesting, different, diverse stories and um, films with a diverse array of of people from different backgrounds. Um, That change has been coming from us, and I feel like we we have a lot more power than, than we think. And um, these awards and all those bodies, I feel like they end up following what we deem as, as being important.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think this, I mean, obviously the idea of, you know, voting with your dollars as a moviegoer, when it feels safe to go back into the theaters is, is hugely important because, uh, you know, Hollywood is an industry and it responds to our dollars. Yeah. And then I guess the last question I have for you and I'm sure you've been asked it a number of times but I I have to ask you anyway which is just the conversation we're having around we're having right now about the Asian and Asian American experience in America and the otherness that some people see and the sameness that some people see and the violence that goes along with it and what you've seen this film do to that conversation.
2: Yeah, um I the The news about Atlanta, what happened in Atlanta that came out the day after the the announcement of all the Oscar nominations we had. I felt like I had a day to kind of be lost in this sort of overjoyed bliss for for a bit and uh, and then reality just kind of burst forward, and um, our whole team we we just got quiet we didn 't know what to do we were kind of grieving and um, we weren't sure what to say even in this moment and um, what this all means. I, I, I've, been, I've been talking about this in, in many different ways. That I feel like it's, it's such a long and complex conversation, um, mainly because the issue is so complex. It's, it's, there's no simple way to talk about it. Um, even our whole community as Asian Americans, we're so diverse. We have so many different points of view and backgrounds and... Um, i guess what what i've been mentioning is that we really need more community in in terms of the asian american community we we need more unity we need to come together in the in times like this and um i I hope this is an opportunity for that 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 we'd be coming together and really um not uh, judging each other not uh not trying to gatekeep and um that we just set a table that's really open for anyone I mentioned in some talk uh, the other day that all the victims that we've been seeing of violence, they just feel so alone or that's, that's what I feel when I, when I see them, you know, they, they seem so lonely. Um, You know, some of the people they are attacked and there's no one who will actually help them, you know, things like that. And in, in my view, I just, I feel like we have to come together and we have to do the opposite of that. We, We can't let anyone be alone in some ways. With Minari, I, I, I don't want this to seem opportunistic in any way, and I, I feel like that's that's always the issue of of trying to put a film, this film, in, uh, in relation to that. Um, all I all I would want to say is that I hope that this film, as a story will add into that effort to create community amongst all of us in in this country, Asian-Americans. And not just Asian-Americans, but uh, Asian-Americans in relation to other people as well, um, that that this film can also create some kind of community. Um, And that there will be other films that come out that do that. Um, I I think that's kind of what we need um, in in the film world. We need more stories that that drown out the narratives that are creating this violence, essentially. Um, So... I said, I guess that's the way I've been thinking about it. Um, trying not to despair about it. Trying to, you know, uh, talk about it even with my own daughter with with some hope. You know, I I, I kind of hoped that uh, we'd be beyond this um, at this point as I, I'm raising her. But uh, I see we have a lot of work to do, and and that's fine. I think I think we're ready for work.
3: Thank you. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much. Thank you for chatting with me. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you, Joanna. Thank you. I enjoyed this.
0: That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. Uh, As a heads up, we'll be talking about the nominated shorts, our annual tradition. Um, They are now available to watch via virtual cinema programs. Um, You can find them by Googling Shorts TV, um, they are. Uh, you can see them in theaters as well if you were able to do such a thing, um, which would be great. And please tell us if you do. Uh, but anyway, anyway, if you want to watch them for next week's episode, you should. Um, in the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Joanna. Joe wrote this. And Richard. Mariah Laws. And as always, you can text us by joining Subtext. Join subtext.com slash littlegoldmen or texting 213-513-4203. We love to hear from you. We love answering your questions. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for what we will be wearing to the Oscars this year goes to Joanna Robinson.
3: A robe with like a glittering Oscar embroidered in sequins on the back.